My name is Patrick J. McGinnis, and I coined the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out, and it's why some people end up following the crowd. But we're not like them. We're part of a new species that isn't afraid to do things differently. I call us FOMO sapiens. And this is the show where you'll meet people like us, phenomenal FOMO sapiens, to learn how they find the courage and the ideas to live exceptional lives. FOMO. FOMO. Welcome back to FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who just don't follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and in life. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night, and FOMO Sapiens 24-7. And today, my guest is Jessica Yellen, the founder of News Not Noise. Now, if you know that name, it's because Jessica is an Emmy, Gracie, and Peabody award-winning journalist, and she was the CNN chief White House correspondent. In fact, I used to watch her all the time. She has now launched a company called News Not Noise, where she separates the news that matters from the noise you can just ignore, which I think we would all love to be able to do a little bit more of. And she launched it right on Instagram. And she only interviews experts, not pundits, which sounds good to me. Now, Jessica's making news for over half a million followers. And she has a bunch of celebrities who are following her and sharing her content. People like Kristen Bell, Jennifer Garner, Zoe Saldana, Eva Longoria, Orlando Bloom, Natalie Portman, and she's very smart. I think Natalie likes something. I would check it out. And Billy Eichner, who I'm not sure I really would follow him in terms of a news source. Sorry, Billy, but you're still great anyway. Now, in this interview, you're going to learn about how Jessica got into the highest echelons of journalism and why she left to do something new. You're also going to hear how she started her new business after spending a period not knowing what she was going to do next. She was completely lost. And finally, you're going to hear about how one transitions from being a journalist to being an entrepreneur. It's not easy. And if you are thinking about entrepreneurship and you're not an entrepreneur, it could be helpful to hear how she thinks about it. Actually, I thought it was really insightful how she thought about it. Now, here's my small ask. Go check out Jessica's Instagram, at Jessica Yellen. And while you're there, check out Patrick J. McGinnis. Give me a follow. Engage with me. I love hearing from you. All right, and now onto the interview. So I start my interview with Jessica the way I'd like to start all my interviews by asking her this question. What's the most important decision that you've had to make to get to where you are today? To just start. To putting myself on Instagram, doing the news on Instagram was never a sort of inevitable choice. I wanted to do the news differently. I knew there was an audience to reach. I knew that that audience lived on Instagram to some extent, but the idea of going from what I used to be doing, which was like on the North Lawn of the White House with like a crew around me and, you know, resources and all the things to being at home talking into my phone alone, explaining things to my phone felt very jarring and um, was hard to do. It was hard to just take that first step. And um, I needed all my friends like, to force me to be accountable. I needed to invite someone over to sit there and tell me to do it and say she's not leaving until I do it. Uh, it was a really humbling experience. And so that first step was really, in a way, the hardest. That's interesting. It's that We'll talk about this later, the transition from journalist to entrepreneur, which there's a lot more similarities than people think. But just to start out, how did you end up in this line of business, like, you know, in the world of journalism? Because it's so glamorous. It's really hard work, right? But it's one of those things that like whenever they make like a rom-com, like one of the characters is like an anchor for a network like CNN. So like, how does one get there? You know, it's a lot of hard work, paying your dues and some luck. 
I decided to do it because I grew up in a do well, do good household where you had to crush it professionally, of course, but your life wasn't meaningful unless you made a substantive contribution to improving our civic, you know, space. And I had a dad who wanted me to be in politics. I had a mom who was much more sort of like pop culture-y and somehow uh, news was the intersection of the two. Um, I first went to work in Washington, D.C., and decided I didn't want to be on the policy side. I wanted to watch these guys and hold them accountable, guys and women. Um, and so I just decided to take the leap. I, I interned in Washington right after graduating from college. And after that, decided, no, it's media. Started in magazines and then did the whole, I'm moving to TV and went through the local news route in Florida. Wow. That's amazing. I imagine Florida and the White House, it sometimes have a lot of similarities for, those, <laughs> for people who make fun of Florida. It's not, we love Florida. I love Florida, but still. And so then you get into this, you know, you're the White House correspondent for CNN and, you know, you've been, you, you, you were in the kind of sort of traditional news space for a, lo- for a long time. Like how did things change over the trajectory from when you started out to like, you know, when you ended up moving out into what you're doing now? So one of my first moments I decided I wanted to be a White House correspondent was when I was an intern in the Clinton White House in the early 90s. And there was one TV in every room that was before widespread cable, right? And it was those huge TVs, not the thin plasmas, right? So there's this massive cube in every room tuned to CNN. And there were always two things that could stop a room cold, the president himself walking into the room or CNN reporting on the building. And everybody would go into freeze frame, look up, watch, and go back to what they were doing. And that thing could change what was happening in the White House back in those days. And I thought, why are they reporting on this silly helicopter scandal or haircuts or whatever when we're tackling the crime bill, when we're tackling welfare reform? And I made this decision in my early 20s that if I were there doing it, I could talk about policy. Kind of naive. So I did all the things to pay my dues. And then I end up as a White House correspondent, junior White House correspondent. I had to do the silly stuff. But I thought, as soon as I get to be very senior, I can do more of what I want to do. And I just found that for me, my experience, this is not a judgment on all people at the White House doing coverage, just my own experience was that as I rose in the ranks, TV news was changing. We were competing more and more with the internet, diffuse audiences, low attention spans, more drive to, it was harder to compete for eyeballs. And that made it harder for me to be able to sell my stories that were going to be about substance, explaining the thing, news and not noise in my view. And um, I just decided that if I was going to be aligned with my whole intention to begin with, I had to find another way to do it. And that isn't intended as a judgment on any of the legacy networks. I just couldn't find the space to bring my voice into what I was doing enough. So I thought I got to find another way. Yeah, as somebody who was a major consumer of your network, and I, you know, I watched a decent amount of TV news. I've noticed that, you know, because they're on twenty four hours a day, and because there's so much competition, there has to be like breaking news every three minutes, and so it it amps all the emotional conversations, and you you kind of get pulled away from like there's nothing. There's policy is made over months and it's a series of negotiations and there's a lot of things that happen and it's multifaceted and to try to make every one of those like a breaking news moment where you have the special little theme that comes on, it's hard to get into the substance. 
I just want to add one more layer of nuance to that because you're absolutely mm. right. And it was my insight because I had the opportunity to go out and talk to voters and viewers when I was covering politics in the field. It was my insight that the way we were doing it, the way you just described, appeals to a certain audience but also alienates a large audience and that there's a large audience that wants information that is literally turned off by the way we provide it. And I thought if I could re-engineer the way we give this information, I can engage this other audience. And my insight, my thought was that it was women, but my experience having done it is that it's basically almost everyone under the age of 45 or 50 and women even over that age. And that the sort of bro style of combat coverage, you know, who's winning, who's losing, you know, fighting, fighting, negativity, partisanship, outrage, shuts down learning, turns off a huge audience, and they want the content. They just want it told differently. FOMO. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to NetSuite.com slash FOMO. That's NetSuite.com slash FOMO. NetSuite.com slash FOMO. FOMO. And so you decide that you're going to leave and do this. And I have to imagine that's not a light decision, right? So, you're, you know, you have this very you know, you're in people's living rooms every day on a major network to go into that to pure startup mode. I'm curious, like how you made that decision to make the big leap. Listen, there was a lot of like, I obviously was coming to a certain age and a place in my life where I wanted to do things differently for myself and for my life. I always joke that I had um, three Blackberries, but didn't own a house, no boyfriend and no pet, you know, like (laughs) what am I doing? Uh, And I also had this like feeling, right, that there's another way to do it. And I, you know, tried to see if there were other ways to go about this. And um, I did all the things people do. I journaled. I did the every personality. Like I tried all the things. Talked to people, sought out every mentor, sought out everybody I could think of who had been in the business for decades and see. Somebody asked me who has the life and the career that you want and what is that and tried to solve for that. And, you know, tried to see if there was a space for me to do what I wanted to do in another way. And when it became clear that those things weren't options and that I wasn't going to be able to, like, live the whole life that I wanted and try to make a play for this audience in this way, um, I – when I left, I didn't immediately start this. Like, I took a break. I went to Bali. I took a year off. I wrote a novel. And – you know, it took me a while to get up the courage. And my friends were constantly in the background saying, when are you going to do this? When are you going to do this? When are you going to do this? And and it, it just, it took me a minute to kind of like deprogram from that old style 
and then sort of land on this next journey. Yeah, I listen, we've talked about this a bunch on FOMO Sapiens. I have a similar path to you. I worked on Wall Street. I quit. I took a year off. My brother told me when I did that, he said, spend every day for six months not knowing what you're going to do. And I was like, well, that's crazy. I can't do that. And then, I mean, I'd save the money to do it and stuff. But when I did it, it was the deprogramming from the treadmill, the conventional thinking, the expectations of other people. That's where you get to the point where you can do something new. Correct. And for a long time, I, a long time, I mean, for six months a year, I didn't feel that urgency to act. Um, It sort of cooks inside you, right? And then when you finally have it, I then had not just, you know, an instinct about the content, but an idea about how to do this, what the business growth would be, how this is a larger play in a brand and what the space is. Um, And that's evolved as I've been doing it. It's now been, you know, since 2018, it's been a while. Um, But I think that taking that time off, which was so against my nature and clearly yours, was crucial. Mm. Yeah, it is. It's like, it's one of the best things I ever did. And I advise people to do it, but in a mindful way. Now you came out of this experience, you had an idea. So tell us about News Not Noise. How did you come up with the big idea for this for this, I mean, it's very different, right? It's a different approach. So explain it to us and how you came up with it. So there is a part of the audience that's turned off by the negativity, partisanship, and outrage in the way legacy media often tells the news. Literally, like, I would give speeches while I was, you know, in the networks to crowds and, you know, you'd ask questions and overwhelmingly women in the audience, like who watches this? Women in the audience would cover their ears and say, I can't take it. I can't take it. This is a consistent response. I just can't. Or I hear it on, I turn it off. I, it gets, and it's the, and, and the conventional wisdom in Washington was, well, there's a certain part of the audience that's just not interested in politics or foreign policy or these big issues because they're focused on their kids and home and the budget and blah, blah, or jeans and makeup, and they don't like this stuff. But when you delved closer, because I was talking to these people as I was mm. covering elections, they were voters, right? They're swing voters, swing women. I was talking to them. They care enormously about the issues. They just don't care about what this congressperson is saying to that congressperson in a slapdown on Capitol Hill today. What they care about is Who's back? Is this bill going to make my health care costs more? Mm-hmm. Like, when do I have to worry about maybe government will shut down and services will be closed? Like, tell me the date. Let me put it on my calendar. Give me real things I can know and explain it in a way that doesn't include so much jargon that I'm lost. So the way I thought about it was. I always think that what we do in politics is not hard. We just use a lot of inside words to make it seem opaque. If I can crack that code and like somebody used to say, explain it to me, explain me. If I just explain someone, I explain it in a way you get it, then you will engage next time I talk about it, pick up an article about it, participate in a dinner conversation about it, maybe take part in a civic action and vote. And that is why the press exists, to empower voters in a democracy. And so I try to internalize that and talk in a way that regular people get, give them information they understand in a way they can engage with. Um, And I'll just add, you know, I'm from L.A. 
when I decided I wanted to do this, I went out and I pitched this as like a show to all these Hollywood people mm. who were like, oh my God, no, nobody wants information. You're silly. Nobody wants that. And this is a consistent thing I have to fight and still crack. People want it. Um, the gatekeepers don't get it too often. That means there's a huge opportunity for people who are doing it differently. And it's about re-engineering how we talk to people, but giving them information because they want it. One of the things I learned recently, I was talking to somebody over the weekend and she was telling me she doesn't watch TV news anymore. She feels that there's too much news. She's overwhelmed and she's trying to find a place where she can get what she needs to know in a factual way. And, and then I, I was like, well, I know the place to go. And she was telling me that her brother consumes almost all of his news through Instagram, which I, again, it was like, and then, you know, as I thought about what you're doing, it's very interesting because, you know, Instagram and other platforms are massive sources of disinformation, but they're also huge platforms where people spend a lot of their quality time. And so you have chosen Instagram as the place to start. It may, I, it may continue to other platforms, but tell me why Instagram and then is your thought to stay there or do you want to expand into other platforms for diffusing knowledge? So uh, taking your second question first, I do have, I have a newsletter with Facebook. I'm on Facebook. We have a mm -hmm. channel on YouTube and we're building these other platforms, but Instagram is the um, sort of biggest audience and where I st staked my ground. Mm -hmm. And I was really the first person doing news on Instagram. And uh, my thought was, it's an, these are environments. First I picked it because it was overwhelmingly female and my, thesis to start was that it's a female audience. Um, these are people who weren't getting a lot of information in other ways. Like they would have three makeup influencers and the person talking to them about wellness and the most trusted voice on, you know, your budget, but nobody in the news and politics space. And I really wanted to help engage people to get them to turn out and vote. So I thought Instagram would be a good environment. Also, it was kind in those days, there was all this nastiness on Twitter and all this sort of fake news anxiety around Facebook, but not Instagram. And so it felt like a more welcoming, the water was warmer. And so I did start it there. Um, and now my belief is, you know, what better space to fight disinformation than being in these social media platforms? So what I started doing is I said, I put myself on camera. One day my friend was like, you got to do it. You got to start. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And she's like, pick up your phone and start talking to it and post a video. Like, what will I say? And she's like, you literally just explained to me what's going on in Congress. Do that on your phone. And so I started posting these videos where I would just talk and explain what's happening. Those caught on. Um, Jessica Seinfeld saw the account, posted it. I like grew tenfold. Um, Amy Schumer saw it because of Jessica Seinfeld. She announced her pregnancy on the Instagram feed and it exploded. It was like global <laughs> news. And then she brought in all these other celebrities who continue to repost. As we're taping this, Jennifer Aniston reposted one of my interviews from yesterday. Like, So now it's this cycle of people who want to get credible information out there, who help push it out, and an audience that trusts that what we're giving them is fact-based and substantive credible. Like I have their trust. How does it work? It's interesting. I'm just thinking, first of all, I'm jealous about Jennifer Aniston because she knows who you are and she doesn't know who I am. And I want her to know who I am. 
Hey, Jen. Um, I follow you on Instagram. Anyway, um, you have these celebrities that are sharing your work, which is awesome. And it really helps you to grow your reach. How does the conventional news world, like, are there, are they kind of like, are they supportive or are people sort of like, they don't get it? Or, you know, how does it, how does it frame to other people who are still doing what you used to do? So I think of news as a space right for disruption, right? There's mm-hmm. a way they've always done things that's about conflict. It's missing an audience, time for change. And so in that environment, as with any place right, right for disruption, there are people who completely get it. And when you make that leap and lead, they're like, go sister, we're with you. I see what you're doing. Amazing. And then there are people who just are think it's what like, oh, that's completely inexplicable, you know? So I have all the reactions. Um, I will say that I'm followed by a lot of people in the media. And I do have the experience that when I interview somebody new who hasn't emerged as a talking head, often they'll pop up at the networks as a talking head soon. Um, so it's a way, you know, I'll, I'll to sort of on-ramp people into some of that those environments. Um, and I think that there's increased, especially as people are moving to streaming, they get this. Uh, I also, my relationship, like I do have this weird bifurcated thing, which is I have these VVVIP followers who are like media and and C-suite executives and celebs and all that, politicos. But the heft of my audience are women ages 25 to 44 and young people um, in cities across the country who literally aren't getting their news elsewhere. Like this is where they get their information. This is the source of their trust. And it's in Georgia, it's in Alabama, it's in Michigan, it's in swing states across the country. And so there's a part of me, the old me, when you talk about FOMO that wants my old colleagues to get it, but I'm constantly reminded that my mission is to speak to these other people and everybody will get it as I do the, the part of it that's the, in, as if I'm aligned with the integrity of it, if I'm reaching this audience of people who are turned off by the noise and the negativity, eventually the naysayers will understand. FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO sapiens? Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages, but I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. FOMO. To start the season, we had Ian Schrager on the show and we had this conversation about creativity and he said something I really like, which is creativity is disobedience. And when you're being an innovator and you're breaking away from the, the traditional path to expect the approval of any of the people that are still on that path, it's like, it's a Pyrrhic 
I guess not a pyrrhic victory because you're not going to win, right? I even work on this where I have somebody in my life who says, um, when they're approving, you're off track. Like you are not looking at them. What their judgments are do not relate to your daily choices, cannot relate to your daily choices. Um, because I'm I'm trying to change the paradigm in some ways. And, and so I have to, you know, one has to break oneself of the habit of like seeking approval from those old faces and voices, which is not to say like I was just in DC this weekend. I saw friends, like I, I have a community of people who are cheering and who get it. In, and many of them live in a different media environment. But I can't expect the establishment to embrace it because I'm challenging what the establishment is doing. And at the point when they do, maybe that's when you're off track. I don't know. That's when they try to buy you, I think. But <laughs> Well, that's okay. I mean, we can get to that point. That's a good point. <laughs> so we have a, a, a past guest on the show who is really extraordinary, Kate Ryder. She's the CEO of Maven Clinics, and they just raised at a billion-dollar valuation. And Kate started her career as a journalist, and we talked about – you know, I was sort of like, well, like explain to me how a journalist becomes an entrepreneur. And she said to me, listen, actually, they're very similar in a lot of ways. And I thought that was, you know, we talk about that in detail back on that episode. But I'd love to hear from you that transition going from the journalist, which there's again, you know, you're like chasing down stories. You got to be you got you to like, you know, do the work. But it is very different in, in a lot of ways from being an entrepreneur. How have you made that transition and what has been surprising to you? I think that um my dad was an entrepreneur and he took a lot of risks. And I think that that gave me kind of the framework to think that if I leap, the net will appear. And to understand that you take the first step to get to the next and you can't expect everything to come together at once. Um, and to operate sort of like, I'm doing the news on Instagram right now, but the larger goal is to be this media brand and this will get there, right? Um, but that takes a lot of courage and faith. And it, when you're working as a journalist, um, you take enormous risks in your daily practice of how you do the job, right? Like you have an, you get a tip about a story, you have an instinct about a story, and then you devote all your energy into chasing down that thing that might not be. And then you have to be willing to get new data and adjust and hear other voices and know that even though those voices are saying no, you're looking at information that says yes, and you're going to trust the yes and move. All those things are super helpful as an entrepreneur in sort of making sense out of different inputs, taking risks, moving into dark like spaces that don't have a clear path, which is all the things you need to do as an entrepreneur. The nuance I'd add is these days, as a journalist, you usually work inside a large corporate environment that pays you a set salary with healthcare benefits and an HR department and time off and an office and a computer and an IT team. And you don't have to worry about those things. And when and so we have the ability to take a lot of risks in our work, but you don't have to in your life. And the challenging thing for me is I'm doing it on every front. And I think that's part of what, you know, is is very scary about this path and why it's hard to leap. Um, and there were days when it was, you know, enormously scary. And I was like, I'm too far gone to go back, but I don't know it. Like, I don't want to have this much uncertainty, you know, fortunately I'm not there anymore. And I just was like, you got to keep going. Um, but those things are scary and you don't have to live with that when you're employed by a large institution. 
Um, and so that's one of the big differences. And I really credit my dad and seeing that to giving me the faith to do it. And also all my friends saying, it's going to be cool. You just got it. You're going to be good. Yeah. When you hit that wall, which every entrepreneur hits, I mean, many, many, many times, what how, you said you kept going, but I'm curious, like, was there something in particular? Was it a practice that you did or a person that gave you advice? Like, what was it that when you just were like, oh my goodness, you were able to keep going? Okay. I did. I do a bunch of things. I meditate every day. I do a practice every day. That's exercise and meditation. That's like my daily centering practice. Um, I have a vision of myself at the time I decided to leave and leap. And whenever I lose faith or have a bad, you know, run, like a moment where I'm like, what? I think of that woman and what I owe her for the courage it took to make those decisions um, and that I can't let her down. And that was what it took in the early days. Now I have a big audience and I have a team. And so all of that makes you keep going and know, you know, somebody there gives you support and encouragement. Um, and then more than anything, for me, this is a mission as well. And so I feel like driven to execute. Um, people are asking me questions, well, explain the debt ceiling. I don't get it. You know, um, why there, we keep talking about these bills. One's a trillion dollar bill. One's a $3.5 trillion bill. Why don't we know anything that's in the bills? Can you tell me what's in the bills? All those things energize me. And what I remind myself is at any point, if you're annoyed with the minutia of business, like the part of it, that's like, I don't know, payroll or finding contracts and dealing with lawyers and all that, go back to the content re-engage with what made you passionate about this. And then you get that energy again to do all the rest. Yeah. The cool parts make the mundane parts worthwhile. Cause you're like, well, this is really cool, but I got to pay payroll to have the cool stuff. <laughs> too. <like> so, <laughs> or sending like contracts with lawyers all the time. You're just like, Oh my gosh, can someone else do this? But no, you have to do it. Well, I, I love what you just shared and I, I appreciate it because you, you are a total FOMO sapiens because you, took a path that's different you also take care of yourself and you have these things like my you know mindfulness meditation all these sorts of things which are they're necessary to keep us from freaking out now you're also of course a human being and so my question for you is human beings feel fomo like what do you worry about missing out on oh all the things all the time i mean you know i worry about not getting the story not being in the room like one of the fun things about being at a major inst like, sort of only focusing on the work is you're always I, you're the first to know, right? Um, and so that is one of those struggles. Um, and I am I have people around me who remind me, like, your job is not to break news 30 seconds before everyone else. You, that is not the role. You walked away from that role. You have a new role now. So I try to let go of that. Um, and then, you know, there's always the sort of, like, what is the next building block? And will somebody get there before me? And am I making the right choices? And all of those uh, sort of like challenges you have to grapple with all the time. And, um, so people are like, you innovated this thing. You were the first on Instagram. That's so cool. What are you innovating now? And those are the things I worry about, you know, and people say to me when I go for advice and I say, well, what do you think the next, you know, two years, I'll lay out my two choices and they'll be like, I don't know. You're innovating this. You tell us. So, there's always that sort of like, is there a secret right answer that's out there that I don't know? And um, that's kind of my FOMO. Like sometimes I think there's a correct answer to some of these 
decisions you have to make as an entrepreneur. And I have to remind myself, there's no right answer. You have to do the things that fit with your plan and your best decision based on the information. All right, everybody. News Nut Noise. You can find more at Jessica Yellen on Instagram and on the brand new, and I want to hear it too, News Nut Noise podcast. Jessica Yellen, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for this conversation. It was great. FOMO. Big news. We now have a brand new website. So head over to FOMOSapiens.com where you can listen to past episodes, learn more about the show, and find out how to advertise. Also, head over to Spotify where you can find and follow playlists of the best of the show. You can also connect with me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you, so don't be shy. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstro. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO. 